0: As some of you know, our home is surrounded by woods, and so one of my regular tasks before I mow often is to walk around the perimeter picking up sticks so I don't hit them with my mower. Some of them are smaller, some of them are a bit larger, and the larger ones, I can think, that's kindling in the fireplace in the winter, but I have to bring them down to size. And so in so doing, I often will take the sticks, and uh, to a certain extent, they're quite flexible. But add enough pressure, and the stick hits a breaking point. As we begin this new teaching series, a question for you. How many of you right now are near a breaking point?
1: Welcome to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. A weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and our teacher is Dave DeSelm, founding senior pastor of Fellowship Missionary Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he served for nearly 35 years. Currently, Dave is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, individual and group coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at DaveDeSelmMinistries.org. Well, today, Dave is starting a new series pulled from the very personal, painful life experience of the Apostle Paul. And let's see what we can learn about bouncing back when the trials and tragedies of life knock us down. Here's Dave with Resilience.
0: How many of you right now are near a breaking point? The fact is, you're facing pressure after pressure after pressure. We human beings have a certain amount of resilience. We can face pressure to some degree. But the challenge comes, it's when it's one thing after another. Your finances, your marriage, your kids, your health, your job, and you think, I don't think I can give any more. I'm gonna break. So, what do you do then? How do you recover from those times when you want to break down? To change analogies, how do you get back up after you've been knocked down so many times? And I think some of you know what this is all about. You've been knocked down time and again, and you think, I'm done. I just can't get up again. If that's where you are, this series is for you. But I've got news for you. We're all going to be there someday. So what does it mean? What does resilience mean? Resilience is the capacity to to rebound when you've faced a huge disappointment or painful betrayal. It's the ability to rebuild when you've gone through devastating loss, or suffocating grief. In short, resilience is the art of bouncing back. I'm making a major assumption as I begin this teaching series, and that's this. You're going to get knocked down. You just are. Betrayal, loss, pain, suffering, you're going to get knocked down. That's part of living in this broken world. The question is, How do we cultivate a capacity to get back up, to bounce back? Now, in his wisdom, God gives us multiple examples of people who got knocked down. Some years back, I did a lengthy series on Joseph. Remember that one? Nod your head, make me feel good. You remember the Joseph series? Here's a young guy. He was knocked down time and again, and Joseph kept getting up. More years ago than that, I did a teaching series on Ruth and Naomi, two women who went through so much and just got knocked down. King David, this great hero of the Bible, knew what it was to get knocked down, betrayed by friends, betrayed by family, loss of a child. David was knocked down. Nehemiah knew what it was to be knocked down, but they got back up. Well, over the next weeks, we're going to talk about an individual who I would consider the king of the bounce back. His name's the Apostle Paul. Some of you are quite familiar with Paul. For you who are not, he was once the greatest opponent of Christianity. Call him the Isis of his day. He was determined to single-handedly wipe out Christianity. And he got off to a pretty good start. Somewhere along the way, On his way to get more Christians to throw in prison, he met Jesus. And he literally got knocked off his high horse. Dramatically converted, he became not the greatest opponent, but the greatest proponent for Christianity. The all-time leading church planter. He determined that he would give his life to start Jesus communities in the Roman Empire. Working mainly around the Mediterranean Rim, that's exactly what he did. He began planting churches, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. Then he would, months later, write letters to those churches. Letters of instruction, letters of correction, letters of encouragement. Those letters make up the majority of the New Testament. So we have the letter to the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the Colossians, the Philippians, letters written to these people. Over the next weeks, we're going to study about one letter in some detail. It's Paul's most intensely personal letter. He reveals more of himself in it than any other single epistle. It's the letter to the Corinthians called Second Corinthians, the second of two he wrote them, Second Corinthians. Now, in a moment we're going to look at that text, but for right now, I'm going to set some context for you. Open your Bibles to Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We read this easily enough, but I'd like to suggest something to you. In those brief words, you need to understand the Apostle Paul was at a breaking point. I think he was bone tired, I think that he was deeply discouraged, and I think that he was flat out scared. He said, whoa, this is the Apostle Paul, this is super Christian. I understand. I would still say to you, he was at a breaking point. Now you might wonder, what in the world happened in Corinth to bring him to a breaking point? The issue isn't what happened in Corinth. It's what happened before Corinth. For example, if you would look back to chapter 16 of Acts, you would see how Paul visited the city of Philippi. We have it on the map here. He crossed over. This is the first city visited in Europe. He's crossed over now from Asia Minor. He comes to Philippi. He's desperately trying to share Christ. He can't find a hearing, so he goes to a river, and there he sees some women gathered together. One of them is named Lydia. She's a businesswoman. He begins to start sharing about Christ. She's intrigued. She says to the missionaries, Paul and Silas, a place to stay, come to my home. They come to her home. They share about Christ. She's wondrously converted. Others in her household are converted. They become the first Christians in the continent of Europe. That's a great thing. So Paul's now excited. Things are moving. A few days later, he's walking through the city, and a demon-possessed slave girl begins dogging his steps. These men are servants of the Most High God. She goes nonstop. These men are servants of the Most High God. Finally, Paul realizes, I don't want this kind of advertisement from her. He turns and says, in the name of Jesus, be freed The demons come out of her. She's released. Which would seem to be a good thing, wouldn't you think? The problem is she's owned by some men who are using her capacity of demonization to tell fortunes. Now she can no longer do that because she's freed from the demon. They're hot. Their business has just gone in the tank. They haul Paul and Silas in for the magistrates, trump up the charges, Paul and Silas are stripped, tied to a trestle, and severely flogged with rods. We're not talking about simple whip. These are rods. Their backs are bloody pulps. Without any medical attention, they're taken out, thrown into prison, put in stocks. And there they sit. Sometime later, if you read the account, all kinds of great things happen in Acts 16. Later on, it's discovered that they're Roman citizens. Roman citizens can't be beaten. The city officials hurriedly release them, get out of town, and they begin to start moving on to the southwest. But I want to ask you a question. How long does it take to recover from a flogging? How long does it take to recover emotionally, from a flogging. Staggering to the southwest, they come to the city of Thessalonica. They now think, we're going to try it again. Paul's typical strategy was to go to the synagogue. He loved his people, fellow Jews. In fact, he went so far in another book to say, I would choose to be damned myself to hell if my people had come to know Jesus. Jesus. That was his passion for his Jewish countrymen. In Thessalonica, the people basically say, no way. He tries to reason with them about the scriptures. The good news is, a few did in fact believe. Others went to the marketplace, recruited some neer and started a riot. Paul and Silas are once more being hunted. Fortunately, The few believers hide them, but once more, they have to get out of town. Backs are still raw. They've failed again to their way of thinking. They now slip away. Not exactly what you call a great ministry, wouldn't you say? They move on. Now they come to the city of Berea. Now in Berea, it's really interesting. There are some who determine, you know what? I'm not going to dismiss him out of hand. We're going to compare what you say with Old Testament. And a few, in fact, believed, until the people from Thessalonica heard that these guys were in Berea, and they chased them down. They now turn the Bereans against the Apostle Paul, and he now has to flee from Berea as well. Things are not going well. He heads to Athens. Athens is a place where the intellectual elite gather. Now Paul is going to use his remarkable intelligence, schooling, to try to reason with the intelligentsia of Athens. While a few say, Well, listen to you, most laugh him to scorn. Once more, he's mocked. Once more, it appears that he failed. And so he packs up yet again, and he goes to Corinth. Now do you see the context of chapter 18, verse 1. Look at it again. After this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Man, so difficult. How hard was that? Continuing on, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, he's the Roman emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were, He stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Think about his emotional state here. These are people he loves, and he realizes they're doomed. They're doomed to a Christ of eternity. His heart is broken. His back is raw. He's been chased, arrested on the lamb. He's got to think, you know, I'm just done. I'm done with this. We do read in verses seven and eight that a few people did in fact believe, but it was pitifully small by contrast. Paul is at a breaking point. I think that some of you can relate. You've tried so hard to live for Christ in your home, in your neighborhood, on the job. You've not only been faith filled, you've been faithful. And time and again, you get beat down, you get ridiculed, you get mocked. There's no progress. And you find yourself thinking, you know what? I keep getting knocked down. I don't know if I can get back up. And just when you think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you find it's an oncoming locomotive. With boxcar after boxcar of more disappointments and more discouragements. Can anybody relate to this?
1: You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Pastor Dave will be back momentarily with the rest of his message. But if you're enjoying this podcast, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us to get found by more people. And if there's someone you think would be blessed by this podcast, we hope you'll just take a moment and share it with them. Now, before we get back to the message, I'd like to take just a moment to talk to you pastors. Speaking from personal experience, I know that the challenges pastors face are unique. Seminary may train you theologically, but rarely does it prepare you for the practical everyday realities of being a pastor. But what if you could sit down with someone who's been there? What if you could get coaching from someone who's got years of experience growing and leading a church? Such wisdom and insight could be invaluable. Well, Dave DeSalm Ministries offers coaching for pastors and ministry leaders, both individually and in a small group setting. Focusing on the pastor as disciple and disciple maker, as well as just the leadership issues everyday pastors face, these groups provide not only a mentor to guide you, but a bond of relationship with other leaders. To learn more about coaching opportunities, go to Now. Let's return to Pastor Dave and the rest of today's teaching.
0: If this is where you are, verses 9 and 10 might be as comforting as cold water on a hot day. Look at verses 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have Many people in the city. That's just powerful words. Jesus met him at his breaking point, and he wants to meet you. In fact, let's lift our eyes and voices and read those verses together out loud, shall we? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. In his breaking point, Jesus met him and gave him three wonderful points of reference. Here's the first. Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is so important when it comes to living a life of resilience, that you right-size fear. Sometime back, uh, I watched a documentary, a multiple-week documentary, maybe you saw it too, from PBS called The Roosevelt's. Any of you see The Roosevelt's on PBS? And it featured Theodore Roosevelt, this bigger-than-life character, and Eleanor Roosevelt, arguably the most remarkable first lady ever, and then Franklin Roosevelt. Now, I was intrigued by Franklin Roosevelt because this man was president during the Great Depression. And some of you are a bit older. You know what it was like during the Great Depression. And Roosevelt not only uh, instituted amazing work progress-type uh, things to give people jobs, but the biggest thing he did was to give people hope. Some of you might remember, my mother did first service, mom's in her 80s, might remember the fireside chats. Roosevelt's fireside chats. This is the day of radio. And the people in the late 30s would turn on Sunday nights and President Roosevelt would give them hope. One of his greatest lines was this, we have nothing to fear but what? Have You heard it, yeah. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. What's he saying here? If you're not careful, when you get knocked down, fear can overwhelm you. It can paralyze you. It can muddy your thinking. Fear can take you out more than the incident itself. You've got a right size fear. That's why the number one commandment in all the Bible is fear not. Did you know that? Somebody with way too much time on their hands added up all the times fear not is mentioned in the Bible. 366. That's one for every day of the year with one left over. It's like God is saying, I know what you're facing is daunting. I know this is hard for you. I know you wonder if you can ever get up again after one more betrayal, one more loss, One more point of pain. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. And then what's striking is, most of the times the scripture says, don't be afraid, it adds this. For I am with you. For I am with you. Be not afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. I am with you, though you feel so very alone. I am with you in this painful season of your marriage. I am with you in this upcoming surgery. I'm with you as you parent this very difficult child. I'm with you when your grief seems overwhelming. I will not guarantee you that the road is going to ease up or you won't get knocked down again. But I can tell you this, I'm with you. I'm with you. Do not be afraid. And that's a message I think some of you need to hear. Don't be afraid. Right-size your fear. What did Paul say in Romans? If God be for me, who can be against me? One plus God is a majority. I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm just not. Verse 9 contains a second challenge. Do not be afraid. And the Lord said, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Here's how I summarized it. You stay on task. Don't be afraid and stay on task. Don't you give in. Don't you give up. Don't you give out. One of the greatest temptations when we get knocked down, time and again, is to stay down and say, You know, I'm, I'm just done. You can have this walk of faith, this life with God, this living for the kingdom. You know what? I'm done. One too many heartaches, one too many disappointments, one too many betrayals. I'm done. Over the previous months, Paul had tried time and time again to make a difference with his life with little results. Those who not only ignored him, many of them turned on him. And Paul could easily have said, I'm out. Let somebody else be the punching bag. I've given it my best. Now, I think there are some of you who are here today who are down. You've tried to live a life of faith. You've tried to live a life of the kingdom. And you would find yourself saying, you know, I I tried to share my faith at school, and all I got was ridicule. I'm done. I tried to live a life of integrity on the job, and you know what? I got taken advantage of by all the guys who cheated. I'm done. I tried to make a difference in my neighborhood. I tried teaching those kids in Crosstown, and it was a train wreck. I tried serving. I tried giving. I tried tithing. I tried sacrificing, and I got nothing. Let someone else do it. I'm done. Knockdown. Or maybe it's in other venues. Yeah, I, I really tried going the extra mile in, that, in my marriage. I tried. I really tried making special memories with my kids. I really tried turning the other cheek with my coworkers. And what did I get for my efforts? Nothing but heartache. I'm done. Let someone else try. I'm done. And I believe that God would say to you, as he said to Paul, don't you quit. You stay on task. Refuse to let immediate discouragement blind you to the possibility that you're really making a difference. Let me say it to you again. Refuse to capitulate to the idea that your immediate failures will have the last word. You get up. You go on. You stay on task. Who knows? You may see a breakthrough. One more comes out of verse 10b. Because I have many people in this city. What's the message here? You're not alone. You're not alone. I have others here who share your passion. I have others here who are trying to live for the kingdom, and they can share your burden. See, here's the deal. While God said, I'm with you, Paul needed somebody with skin on. So early in this chapter, we read about two people, Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife, who just so happened to have gotten kicked out of Italy and just so happened to show up in Corinth. Isn't that amazing? Perfectly timed, God brought two people in to encourage Paul. And I think for some of you, one of the reasons why you're staying down is because you don't have anybody who's going to help you up. Now, take it from one who's a natural introvert. It's hard for me to open up to people. More times than not, when I get knocked down in my life, in my ministry, the last thing I want is some pesky friend calling me on the phone, (laughs) inviting me to coffee, taking me to lunch. I just want, leave me alone. I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. No. And yet, time and again, I find that was the thing I needed You do too. The enemy is going to do a tap dance on your soul if you stay in isolation. And God's going to bring people into your life who are going to say, come on, get up, reach out, don't quit. But you're going to need to open up to them. I fortunately have a few people in my life who pursue me like that, and I thank God for them. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. You're not alone. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. You're not alone. Say it with me. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. You're not alone. Did it work? Look at verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. He stayed there longer than any other city with the exception of Ephesus, because he had people who encouraged him. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. You're not alone. You may very well know someone in your world who needs to hear those words who wasn't here this morning. Maybe you're the one to reach out to them when they're down. You say, let me take you to coffee. Let me buy you lunch. I got a word for you that said something to me. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. You're not alone. If nothing else, God's with you. And so am I. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, life is hard. And it's totally unfair. So many hearing my voice right now have been knocked down time and again. Relationally, physically, financially, emotionally, occupationally. And they're holding on right now by their fingernails. The evil one is whispering, it's all over for you. Stay down. Give it up. Who cares? And I pray by the powerful name of Jesus that your spirit would break through the lies. And they'd hear the whisper that Paul heard. Don't be afraid. Stay on task. Don't give up. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet my friends, my brothers and sisters, as surely as you met Paul. And in that meeting, they would be able to get up one more day and to go on in this life confident in your love. I ask this in Jesus' name.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. You can also support this ministry by becoming a financial partner. Just go to davedeselmministries.org and click on the Donate button. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.